Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The vibe I've been getting from the Timberwolves the whole time is, we're only going to trade him as part of a package for a superstar or for a draft pick high enough in this draft or a future draft that it will help us trade for a superstar. So basically what you're hearing is Jared Culver or pick X, which is not necessarily the better player even, but which is the better means for us to trade for a superstar somewhere down the line. I think that's the calculus here in Minnesota, and I think this is absolutely very real. That was uh, that was Zach Lowe, ESPN uh, NBA talking head insider Zach Lowe, as we enter into what we call Reckless Speculation Thursday. It's officially Reckless Speculation Thursday. We'll start with a scoop from our buddy Doogie. We'll dive into uh, a Twins-related speculation piece, and we're bringing old tweets exposed back, too. But first, a shout-out to Federated Insurance. Federated's been helping business owners for over 100 years in the state of Minnesota and uh, I, we're not out of the woods by any means. In fact, we're like re-entering the woods, maybe even deeper than before when it comes to this pandemic year. And so if you're a business owner and you want frontline protection, you want peace of mind, Federated Insurance is the place to contact. Go to their website, federatedinsurance.com, to find trusted resources and to find out how you can contact and connect with your local representative. At Federated Insurance, it's always our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. I've been talking to a lot of executives over the last 7 to 10 days. There's been a lot of talk with this draft, and almost everybody has a different opinion about who the top player should be. I know that our experts here think it's LaMelo Ball, but... I'm not hearing that out there. I'm not hearing a consensus at all. So um, the, the Timberwolves have a firecracker on their hands on what to do with this, and, and it may be something that they want to get out of this if they can trade back, which is one of the reasons they've been active on the trade market. But good luck to all you folks out there doing mock drafts, because I think this is going to be a year where getting anything close to an accurate mock draft is going to be impossible. Mackie and Judd, welcome to the show. Apple, Spotify, scorenorth.com. You can also find uh, various clips on youtube.com slash scorenorthmn. And gentlemen, reckless speculation. Trade talks. Juicy rumors. It's a reckless speculation Thursday on the show. And we welcome in our friend, as we do every week, from the five eyewitness news sports team and from the Scoop podcast, inside information about your favorite local sports teams, Darren Doogie. Wolfson, happy week before the NBA draft and free agency, Dukes. Good morning, Phil. I was doing great until you reminded me of the pandemic. We just got word the other day we're in the Hopkins School District. Unfortunately, the boys are coming home starting on the 23rd. Mm. And I think it's inevitable. I mean, I'm just grateful that sports are continuing, but I think that's the next hammer to drop. I just saw Caledonia, who's got like a million-game winning streak in football, all those King boys the Gopher football team and the Gopher basketball team wants one of those King boys. They've shut down things completely. And up in Duluth, they've shut things down completely. So I almost wonder if it's inevitable that here in the Twin Cities, they'll shut some things down here pretty quick. And Dukes, I think this is now a bit basically when it comes to pro and uh, big-time college sports, a race to the finish line, right? Because we are I, – I think sports – I think the people that make millions off this are going to keep going and basically play with – I don't know, scrubs, JV teams. But uh, college football especially is going to look and has looked very weird. And my contention is that the only thing that they care about is that they can get basically get four teams, forget bowl games, four teams in that playoff, and it's going to be what? It's going to be Bama. It's going to be Ohio State. It's going to be 
four clubs, and they're going to be done. And that's because that's where the check is ultimately going to come from is those games on national TV around January 1st to the 8th, and that's going to be it. I agree. I mean, just this weekend, I mean, how many games have been either postponed or canceled? I mean, is it four, you know, just in the SEC? SEC. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ohio State, Maryland has been, I don't know if it's postponed or canceled. I don't know where the Big Ten would be able to make up that game. So as far as I know, that particular game canceled. The SEC built in some some protection on on the back end where, where they could possibly make up some games. But now LSU has had, what, two games postponed? So I don't think they can make up two. They can probably make up one. I just saw the numbers from the University of Minnesota. They sent an email. Where is it here? In the month of October, they conducted over 6,200 COVID tests. They had 62 positive tests. It's going through the men's basketball team right now. I'm told more so managers, trainer, not necessarily players, but they've had to shut things down. He went through the women's basketball team recently. They're now back to doing individual workouts, but not a full team practice. We know it's hit the football team. Knock on whatever, Bob Motzko told us the other day, it actually hasn't hit, or at least it's not hitting right now, his team, the men's hockey team. But it is going through campus like you would not believe. Gosh. Well, buckle up, I guess. Well, let's let's, let's actually let, let's save some of the NBA juicy speculation here for a couple minutes from now. Since we're on college football real quick, the Gophers got their season back on track, at least to some extent. I don't know. I don't know if you can really overcome the zero and two start with uh, with this sprint of a season. We'll see. Well, I guess we'll see what happens with Wisconsin in the division. But um, Gophers in Iowa this weekend. Uh, tell us what your thoughts are. Did the Gophers get back on track by listening to PJ Reed? Everybody poops. Are they going to make a run after a slow start like they did last year, or is this just is, is the zero and two start just sort of? Uh, make this all a, a formality that there, there's really no way they can win the division. Somewhere in the middle, Phil. I mean, I'm not convinced they're all the way back because they beat the fourth string quarterback for the fighting <laughs> Illini. I need to see more. I think we'll know a lot more in the next two weeks, right? You have Iowa and Purdue, two Friday night games here at TCF Bank Stadium. If they win these next two, okay. There might be a path to five victories, maybe even a path you know, to competing for that for that West Championship. If they split or go 0-2, then not so much. I get why Iowa's a favorite, although I'm not convinced this is a great Iowa team. They've had a lot of change. The quarterback hasn't done anything so far, but Iowa runs the ball incredibly well. I still need to see the Gophers, specifically their linebackers, shed blockers. I need to see their linebackers make tackles. This will be an incredible test tomorrow night. You know, And I also see that Iowa you know, has, has, has a bunch of takeaways so far. I mean, they've had at least two takeaways in, in each of their three games, so – the Gophers are going to have to hold on to the ball. I also think back the last few years, Iowa has, what, a five-game winning streak in this series. Heck, I was in Iowa City last November, which seems like forever ago, but I was there when the Gophers were, what, undefeated at the time, and Iowa just jumped out on them. If you go back the last five years, Iowa always gets up on them. I don't think this Gophers team is well-equipped to come back. I'd love to see the Gophers jump on Iowa. Can the Gophers get out to a 7 nothing lead? maybe even a two-score lead, a 10-0 lead. Iowa also has a really, really good kicker, so if this ends up being a close game, Uh Iowa's got the kicking advantage. I I think, Dukes, too, that that when it comes to that game on uh, Friday night and the Vikings game against the Bears on Monday night, I think what we are at for both of those teams, and we've talked about this on the show the past couple days as well, is a prove-it weekend, right? Because you have a chance in both cases for those teams to basically say, yeah, we put together uh, streaks against possibly slumping or bad teams. But if you beat these two teams, I think we become much more convinced as a fan base in both cases that your your potential resurgence and its potential is far more legit if you beat the Hawkeyes and the Bears on Friday and Monday night. I think that's fair. I think it's more so the Gophers. I mean, even if the Vikings lose on Monday, to me, there's still a path to being 6-6. Six and six heading into that mid-December game in Tampa. And with the extra playoff spot, you know, there still might be a path, even if we don't believe in the Vikings. Then if the Vikings, you know, go into Chicago on Monday, what is it, Kirk Cousins is 0-9 in Monday night games. The Vikings have lost, what is it, 16 of their last 19 at Soldier Field. If they exercise those demons, I guess there's a path into 7-5 and heading into the Tampa game. You know, and maybe, you know, maybe they can do something. I don't even know who the best team is in the NFC is like, who is the best team? I thought it was Tampa 
But then I saw Sunday night. So who is the best? It might team be the, the Saints. It might be it the might Saints be. at this point. It's not Seattle with that defense. No. I don't think it's Green Bay with that defense. So yeah, maybe it is New Orleans. Either way, I feel like we're going to have, however this boils down, once we get to like the final eight and four teams in the playoffs, just think about the potential juicy matchups. We might be getting Hall of Fame quarterback matchups. You might be getting a Pat Mahomes, Ben Roethlisberger. You might be getting a Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, a Drew Brees, Tom Brady, uh, you know, third game in the series. Like this, you might get a Kirk Cousins versus Russell Wilson rematch if the Vikings keep winning. But, Sign me up. But some of these matchups are juicy and an, and an upstart Bills offense with Josh Allen. So I agree there's not really a clear-cut team in the NFC, but I think there's just a lot of Hall of Fame quarterbacks in the mix that are going to make this thing fun, dudes. I'll tell you what, though. It is fun to actually analyze stuff on the field, even with you know the, the <laughs> pandemic you know still still overtaking us in so many ways. Let's just hope they can they can get to the finish line. But I still worry about that, right? Like, as long as you're not in a bubble, and I worry about the NBA starting up on December 22nd. The bubble was great in Orlando. How is this thing going to play out when these guys are not in a bubble? So let's just hope. I mean, I'm I'm grateful that we can can analyze actual games. Let's hope that the Vikings in Tampa play in mid-December, that that game has some sort of meaning. That game on Christmas Day, Vikings at New Orleans has some sort of meaning, but at this point, I'll just take actual action. Dukes, how much do you think privately right now, um, and this would be across sports, but especially, I guess, the question is just for the teams in this town uh, to the Gophers, how much do you think there's privately real concern and potentially angst? Because, I mean, we are going now, this is getting worse, okay? So the Wolves very well, if they play at home and not in a bubble, the Wolves are not going to have fans for a while here. Um, Same thing with the Wild, potentially. What's your sense in talking to people about the legitimate concern about the fact that we are talking about empty stadiums um, and at some point in time, I mean, this is not that big of town. At some point in time, when they do come back, I'm guessing that all the ticket buyers don't. If I'm on the business side, if I own a team, I think if I'm the Vikings, I'm not too concerned. If I'm everybody else, I've got some real uh, concern, and it seems to me like the Wolves, who are trying to get people back, have now been put way behind because when they do come back, I think it's going to be difficult to re-engage people for quite some time unless they're good, and that's really a long shot. Judd, incredibly difficult. I was going back and forth with somebody with the Wolves in the last few days. My understanding is, the number's not literally zero, but it's almost literally zero. The amount of tickets they've sold since winning the number one pick. There just isn't a thirst right now to buy tickets. Heck, to head to downtown Minneapolis, there's so much uncertainty. Even when a vaccine comes, and I'm grateful that we have seemingly some progress on that front, it's still going to be many, 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 many months until we can all be vaccinated, have a sense of, of relief. So, yeah, I don't think... It's across the board, Judd. I mean, that's fine. Maybe the Vikings have all that TV money. You know, they've got, you know, the new hotel out there. Maybe the hotel will will start to have booming business at some point. Maybe the Wilfs are fine. I understand that, Judd. But even if I'm the Wilfs, I'd be concerned. I mean, they were hopeful. I mean, they've done so much work to bring back fans. And now, I mean, I think it was, it was, unfortunately, I think it was, it was inevitable that they weren't going to be able to welcome back fans this year indoors. But they had worked so hard to come up with legitimate plans to welcome back fans, you know, now that's that's not going to happen. So I just I think it's across the board. I really do, Judd, that that it is going to be a while until we return to any sense of normalcy when it comes to pro sports and college sports in this market. Really, I would think I would think I mean, Target Center, I mean, let's face it. I mean, the the Timberwolves have a hard time putting fans in the in the arena even during a non-pandemic period. And so It's a crappy arena, Phil. Let's just say what it is. I mean, even after the renovation, I was talking to Wendy on on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. He's been to every NBA arena. He said objectively, it is a bottom 5 arena. Yeah. It might even be bottom 2 or bottom 3. It is one of the worst arenas in the NBA. So yeah, there just there isn't a desire to go into that arena, to go to downtown Minneapolis. There just it doesn't exist at this point. So yeah, I feel for for a lot of people with the Wolves. Well, maybe there's a couple things they can do in the next week to reckless speculation to entice some fans. And so Doogie, we've gone through all kinds of different 
just different stories and reports that have come out. There's steam that Charlotte is looking to trade up to the number one to get Wiseman. So the Wolves would presumably they would swap picks and then get something else from Charlotte. Chicago is maybe looking to trade up. Uh, we've speculated on Atlanta, but then the report that came out yesterday or the day before that it's it's less about the Timberwolves trying to trade out of the one and more about them trying to trade back into the lottery for a second lottery pick and that they've had conversations with teams like New York and Atlanta. So where do you want to start? Where are you hearing? Um, where do things sort of stand less than a week before the NBA draft? Phil, it's all of the above. I mean, they, my understanding is, have offered Culver plus 17 to more than Atlanta. So, yeah, they've they've made some efforts to move up from 17. We know this for a fact. They've had personal workouts with Kira Lewis Jr., the guard from Alabama, Obi Toppin, the forward from Dayton, Isaac Okoro, the forward, you know, dynamic uh, wing, uh, maybe the best on-ball defender from, from a wing standpoint in this draft from Auburn. Uh, they went down to Alabama to work him out. And who's the fourth guy? Tyrese Halliburton of Iowa State. We know about Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball, but – but those four guys, Halliburton, Toppin, uh, Okoro, and Lewis, are all guys that, that aren't going to be there at 17, so you need to move up. So those are names to keep an eye on. Do I think they're still actively looking at moving down from one? Phil, I do. I think there is a scenario where they can get Edwards or Ball. It won't be Wiseman, but they don't have the medicals on Wiseman. I wouldn't feel comfortable taking James Wiseman, even though, to me, he's the best prospect in this draft. I wouldn't feel comfortable if I were Rosas without having the full medical history of James Wiseman. So to me, there are still scenarios. Charlotte does have that information as far as I'm, I'm, you know, concerned and, and no golden state has that information. So do one of those teams move up from two or three to secure Wiseman? I don't think it's golden state, but I think Charlotte, that makes logical sense. So I still think there's a scenario where the wolves move from one to three, end up with ball or Edwards plus some other asset. Then Charlotte gets their guy in James Wiseman. Now, do I think Charlotte has made its best offer or final offer? I don't. I was talking with Ryan McDonough, the former Phoenix Suns general manager. He'll be on my on my latest Scoop podcast that I'll record later. I was talking to him yesterday for a while, and he admitted, he goes, the best offers, and he had the number one pick two years ago. He locked in on DeAndre Ayton, passed on Luka Doncic, but for the roster they had, Ayton made a lot of sense. I think Ayton's going to be a good player, but I'm sure he has some regrets about passing on Doncic, but but he was in this position just two years ago, 2018, so he knows all about this, and he says the best offers don't come in until, like, maybe Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday morning. So I don't think Charlotte at this point has made its best offer, but I would still keep an eye on that. The Wolves trying to move from one to three, maybe four, you know, potentially four. Uh, and at four, you know, they could go Toppin, Halliburton, or Okoro there. Uh, the Bulls' new – President of Operations worked with Rosas in Houston, so they have that bond. So Rosas knows the guy in Chicago, so I can promise you the Wolves in Chicago have, have absolutely had dialogue. But I would still, more than anything, keep an eye on the three-pick, Charlotte. I can see a scenario where the Wolves move down. Now, if, if they can't find a trade to their liking, Phil, I think they stay at one. And I think it's Ball or Edwards. They worked out Ball yesterday in Southern California. Jonathan Javoni, who does a great job for ESPN, he was the first to report that. I can verify that. I'm told that ball shot the ball well, but what does that mean? It was a one-on-oh workout, so who cares how you shoot against air? But to me, it's noteworthy that the Wolves, Rosas and company, flew back out to Southern California. They were there a week or two ago. They fly back out there for this workout yesterday, seven days out. That, to me, is, is pretty darn newsworthy. And when talking about the possibility of selling tickets, I don't know how many tickets LaMelo Ball could sell, but I can promise you this. Ball sells more tickets than Edwards or anyone else. So if you're looking for some sort of sizzle, some sort of marketing appeal, LaMelo Ball would be that guy. Plus, you would still maintain some leverage for a trade down the road. It's something we've talked about going back months, that that just take the best asset. And is it possible? Now, I can argue that Wiseman is the best asset, but to me, you lose all leverage. You would piss off his camp. He's got a very powerful agent in Jeff Schwartz. You don't have the medicals. That's a tough one. You have the book on LaMelo Ball. You have everything you need to know about LaMelo Ball, but you would still maintain some leverage for down the road if you wanted to trade LaMelo Ball. Or who knows? Maybe you love LaMelo so much, maybe you trade DeAndre Russell down the road. Probably unlikely, but but I think that scenario does pop up if you end up with Ball. So I guess I would not be shocked. 
I don't have how their board stacked. Everybody asks me on Twitter, you know, is it Ball, is it Edwards? I don't know. I can tell you they've done incredible homework on both. I told you a few weeks ago that I'm not convinced they love either, but that was before spending time with each, watching both work out. Uh, so I wouldn't be shocked if, if they go either route, but I can just tell you, LaMelo Ball offers the most sizzle. So if you're looking for some sizzle, now I would bounce that off Russell. Russell played off the ball in Brooklyn. He was fine off the ball in Brooklyn. But did you bring in D'Angelo Russell to play off the ball? Even though he can do it, is he comfortable playing off the ball? So if I were Saunders and Rosas, I'd be having some healthy conversations with Russell just to see where he's at with the idea of bringing in LaMelo Ball. But next Wednesday night, Phil, if they end up with LaMelo Ball, I would not be surprised one bit. Play the Sounder, dude. I've That is a reckless speculation. Wow. Okay, off all of those points, and uh, going back to what we talked about with the pandemic and the interest that currently exists, or more importantly, Dukes probably does not exist in this team. Um, From more than just a basketball standpoint aside, a business standpoint as well, do you get the sense at all that there is immediate pressure being put on Gerson uh, to make an acquisition that will have, as I think you said, sizzle to it because the team's being sold, um, the teams, if the team's appeal goes up, the price possibly does too. How do you think that right now, potentially basketball and business decisions are colliding because this is such a weird time? There is pressure, make no mistake about that. But I think there's always pressure when you have the number one pick in the Wolves case, 117 and 33. So the Wolves control this draft, but yeah, I hear there's, there's immense pressure. You're right about the sale. I'm told that's inching closer. That, that this thing could happen, that it's down to two groups. I, I don't have specific names. I still think Daniel E. Strauss, the former Grizzlies limited partner, is, is still in the mix. So that's one name I'd keep an eye on. But I think that thing is inching closer to, to some sort of finality, some sort of purchase agreement, you know, signed, some sort of at least verbal agreement that there has been progress, that we could see something before the end of the year, that, that I think there's some uncertainty with, with estate taxes when the Biden administration takes over depending on what takes place in the Senate, but but that things could change from an estate tax standpoint for Glenn, that it would make more financial sense for Glenn to do this now. I'm more curious to see how much Glenn retains. I mean, there's been talks of Glenn retaining as much as 40%. Maybe it's 20%. Maybe it's only 5%. Maybe it's zero. But yeah, I think we're trending more toward a new majority owner sooner rather than later. So yeah, if you're Rosas, you're feeling the pressure. You will soon have a new boss to report to. We just saw Steve Cohen with the New York Mets gut the Mets front office, right? It's not unheard of for a new owner to come in and blow things up, right? So, yeah, there is there is immense pressure. But I don't think that Ethan Casson and Ryan Tankey are telling Gerson Rosas, you have to take LaMelo Ball because we think he can sell tickets. I don't think it's quite to that point. But, yeah, do I think it's in the back of Gerson's mind heading into Wednesday? 100%. Any indications on where Kevin Garnett stands as this as this comes down to potentially two He won't finals? be the guy. He won't be it. Yeah, he won't be it, Phil. I think it makes more sense for whether it's the Strauss group or some other group after, you know, there's, there's papers signed to then offer the olive branch to Kevin and say, okay, it would make sense for us as we enter this new endeavor. Why wouldn't we want – the all-time greatest player in franchise history on our side. Yeah. You know, let's mend fences. Make Kevin, him a part owner. Yeah. Glenn's out. Kevin, you know, we're giving you an opportunity to buy in at 2%, 3%. It's not like Kevin. I mean, Kevin's got money, don't get me wrong, but Kevin doesn't have stupid money. So I don't think Kevin could buy in at, you know, 20% or 30%. But let's just say it's the Daniel E. Strauss group. I just think it would make a lot of sense for, for his group, for Daniel to welcome Kevin with open arms, offer him some sort of position. I don't want him making final basketball decisions, but some sort of some sort of gig, you know, some sort of ambassador gig, but maybe yeah. he's helping out on the court. You know, he doesn't need to live here full time. He can still maintain the residence out in Malibu, but that he spends enough time here. They put his number 21 up in the rafters. I just think that makes a lot of sense for the new owner to reach out to, to KG after everything is completed. This is going to sound so dumb to say, but I will say it. All you have to do is not piss him off. Like, literally, he's the best player in franchise history. And all you have to do is pick up the phone and call him and not say, 
We are going to in two weeks alienate you beyond belief. Seriously, like that's the that's the step. Yeah, he I, doesn't need to own the team. You just need to get him involved and say we value you. I think it makes a ton of sense to give him a small sliver of ownership to give him some ambassador role, sure, and have him just like make him feel like he's wanted and part of the organization, and then give him something meaningful, but not like run the organization to do right. Like I don't want him running operations or anything, but. But if he like if he wants to be part of if he wants to be uh, you know at Wolves camp for two or three weeks and uh, and and working with Carl Anthony Towns and stuff like that all that stuff makes total sense Doogie. It does. It absolutely does. And I think that whoever ends up with the team, they can get that done. Now, can Glenn get that done? No. I mean, at this point, that relationship it's it's beyond repair. If Glenn tried to pick up the phone to call Kevin. Kevin's not answering the phone. I don't think Kevin's answering the phone if a lot of people with the Wolves call. So those relationships are are in many ways beyond repair. Kevin's got a quick fuse. Like I was talking to, to Joe Abunasar, who's a longtime NBA trainer. He'll also be on my podcast later. He trains Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet. He's training a bunch of draft prospects right now. Halliburton, Zeke Naji, Malachi Flynn, Devin Dotson. He's trained Porzingis over the years, Kawhi Leonard. He also trained many years ago. Kevin Garnett, Abunasar's got some legendary stories, even going back 25 years, where KG would just walk in the gym, mother bleep everybody, everybody was scared. He just, he's got that quick fuse. He really does. So I just don't see anybody with the Wolves currently mending, you know, that relationship. But I do think the new owner can work on that relationship. Twin scoops and uh, potential updates on the uh, talks with uh, Cruz. Have they, have they progressed since we last talked last week about him coming back here? I mean, Thad Levine maintains pretty steady dialogue with, with Cruz's agent. But, no, we're not to the point of, of actual numbers being exchanged. The Cruz camp, Judd, frankly, is, is still waiting on, on direction whether the National League will have the DH next year. And I'm hopeful that we'll have a decision here sometime soon. I hope it's not January or February. I think it might be, Doogie. Know, but, but it might be. It absolutely might be. But if you're the Cruz camp, you're going to wait. Although if the Twins make a solid two-year guaranteed offer – Cruz wants to be back here, so if they make a two-year guaranteed offer at pretty good money, I think he would take it right now, but we're not to that point. So it could still be a while on Cruz and other DHs. But, yeah, the Twins continue to make phone calls. They had a scout recently watched free agent pitcher Aaron Sanchez, the former Toronto Mm. Blue Jay. He threw for some teams, so the Twins were represented at that showcase. They've reached out on Charlie Morton, Corey Kluber. They maintain pretty healthy dialogue with Jake Odorizzi's agent, Trevor May's agent. They have interest in bringing back Clifford, you know, so so they're doing some things. I did hear that Andreanza, I don't think Andreanza is back, but but he changed representation. So he was represented by the Octagon Agency. He let them go. I don't know who Andreanza's current agent is, but he has a new agent. But I don't think he's back regardless. Boy, so Aaron Sanchez, some of these guys uh, aren't going to make Twins fans very excited. Like Aaron Sanchez used to be really good four or five years ago, and he's had injury problems. But in fairness – the Twins have done a really good job taking guys who are sort of in that bargain bin, Michael Pineda. You could even argue Kenta Maeda was just sort of underutilized and um, and wasn't maxed out. And they've done a great job taking some of these guys, even relievers we've never heard of. So uh, I used to scoff at the Aaron Sanchez type type guys, classic Terry Ryan going through the $3 DVD bin at Cub Foods, right? <laughs> but I, but, if, but if they were to see something in a guy like that, I would actually trust this front office to to make it work. We saw it last year with Matt Whistler. They just picked up a pitcher from the Pirates organization, the Rangers organization. Mm -hmm. I had a Twins official tell me on background the other day that that their developmental people see some things that they can tweak with those two arms. I forget the names, but but yeah. And, I mean, the proof is there. I mean, Matt Whistler was a really good addition for them. Heck, I mean, they love sliders, right? I mean, there's a really good free agent reliever. I know his agent really well. So I texted him. I said, hey, do the Twins have interest in your client? He goes, my client's not a slider guy, so no, I don't expect the Twins to reach out. But, yeah, I do think any number of reclamation projects, and you're right, Phil, on Kenta Maeda, I mean, he was demoted to the bullpen in Los Angeles. I think at the time of that trade, there were a lot of Twins fans that said, ah, blah, he's nothing more than a than a number four, number five. There's nothing there. So, And we saw what he did, right? So, yeah, I'm with you, Phil. Falvey is very much a pitching savant. He's more than that, but – He's a pitching savant. I will defer to the Twins front office on arms. 
any chance on Trevor Bauer. They have a previous relationship in Cleveland. This is free they agent. will reach out if, if, if they haven't already. I can't confirm that they have officially reached out, but yes. They are going to talk to, to his agent, Rachel. 100%. It is going to happen. Now, do I think that it, he ends up here? I'm not ready to go that far. I think he'll have a healthy market. Guys like that are going to have a healthy market. George Springer, you know, DJ LeMayhew, you know, guys like that uh, are going to have a pretty good market. In fact, I was surprised that Stroman accepted the qualifying offer because I thought he would have a healthy market. So whether it's the Braves, the Padres, the Yankees, we know the Mets are going to spend. I think Trevor Bauer, the Reds certainly have interest in bringing him back. I think Trevor Bauer is going to have a healthy enough market. I think it's going to be tough for the Twins to win that bidding war. Mm-hmm. I know it means being uh, shot in the groin with a paintball gun from up close, which would be extremely painful. But are you telling me that this guy is actually going to sign? I mean, he's a pitcher. That he's actually going to, coming off this year. By the way, the first Reds pitcher ever to win a Cy Young, which is an unbelievable thing. You that, take the six-year deal. That, yes, that yeah, he's really going to sign a one-year contract? I mean, no, if you're, he works yeah, you hard, but his arm could it. fall off. Yeah. And and he's not a dumb guy. He's a weird guy, but he's not a dumb guy. Like, mm-hmm. just put a cup on and get shot in the groin and be done with <laughs> no, it. No cup allowed, dude. No cup allowed Well, then. That. Then pitch and p- pitch and talk like this. Well, it's been a real good game. And I was just really <laughs> oh, outstanding, oh. but I have a ten-year contract now. I'm not gonna some Trevor Bauer. Oh. I, I, I mean, really, this is this is going to be the, if this guy really goes through with the one-year contract going into 2021. It's one of the most ridiculous business decisions ever made in sports. I'm with you, and I mean, we're still looking at the potential of of a lockout right in one year. They still need to negotiate, yes, sir, a long-term collective bargaining. And they're not going so, to. Yeah, if, if Trevor Bauer. I mean, this is the perfect time coming off the Cy Young win. You'll never be in a better spot. You would be a moron to take a one-year deal when presumably you are going to have really, really nice six, maybe even seven-year offers. Who knows? Maybe even eight years at what? $150 million, $175 million, whatever it is. Trevor Bauer, you need to take the multi-year deal. You cannot go through with the one-year deal. Dukes, great stuff, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Doogie. You got it. One more note. 15 scouts will be at TCF Bank Stadium tomorrow night, including the Vikings and the Packers. They will have representation. So half the league will have a scout watching Gophers and Hawkeyes. Pretty impressive. Mask up. Mask up. Speculation. That's our friend Dugs. All right, Doogie. Go back to to your cubicle. Go back to work. We'll talk to you next week. You can find Doogie on the Scoop Podcast, Apple, Spotify, and scorenorth.com. Every single week, he's part of the five Eyewitness News sports team. Inside information about our favorite local sports teams. Um, let's take a minute, collect our breaths. That was a great a great Scoop session on this Reckless Speculation Thursday. And, uh, and let's spin off a couple of those things that he talked about, plus some twin speculation, too. Football. a chance at the end, but I got three words for you. You like that? Morning, oh what a beautiful day. (laughs) Pretty woman walking down the street, pretty woman, we kind of like to meet, pretty woman. Chance at the end, but I got three words for you. You like that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it. What do you mean? I don't like it. Dude, Dude, night- Kirk Cousins in high school, oh. courtesy of uh, 10,000 takes, uh, put that video out. My on night was made when I watched it 50 times. <laughs> I couldn't, I wanted more. Where's wow. the rest of the musicals? Okay. I will say, like, his voice is a little pitchy dog at the beginning of that clip, but toward the end, when he when he hits the accelerator, yes. uh, was it? It's a pretty woman or something. I don't know what it was at the end there, but he's got a little bit of a voice. A little bit of pipes. He's uh he's definitely not tone deaf. No, he's not. All right. Well, well, well hold on a second. In what <laughs> vein are we yeah, talking which, about? Which side? With the media, he can be tone deaf sometimes. Yeah. But but as a singer. And with COVID too, maybe. But yeah, you're right. As a singer, he's not tone deaf at all. I mean, I feel like uh I feel like anyone who's who's ragging on Kirk for his high school musical slash choir ventures leaking out on the internet was not a band or choir student in high school, like myself, for instance, okay? It makes you a more well-rounded human. 
Uh, it really, it really brings culture into your life, and so I feel like I have a deeper connection with Kirk Cousins oh, now okay. that these clips have surfaced. I think I have found the game plan: Monday night, Soldier Field against Chicago. Pretty woman, you sing after handing off to Dalvin. It's gonna Khalil Mack's gonna stop. Pretty morning, oh what a beautiful day. This what you do. Instead of a touchdown celebration, how about they roll out a karaoke machine? Kirk hits the high harmonies. Pretty Delvin gets Delvin. on the bass. I mean, come Going on. You, yeah, you hand the ball off. You hand the ball off. You stop right there. And the Bears are like, should we pursue Delvin? And Kirk breaks into pretty Delvin oh, running no. down the field. Pretty Delvin. Oh, my God. Saving my job. Exactly. It'll freeze them. Have you guys ever uh, partaken in choir or band? Back in the day? I didn't band, yeah. That was in choir when I was at uh, St. Teresa in grade school. Had to sing. Were I was, you a, I was actually a, okay. a tenor or a bass? Yeah, that sounds oh, no, I was just in the choir. I, I don't know. I just did what I right, did. Right, but like when you're but in the choir, they, yeah, they, they the you're either you're an alto, you're a tenor, you're a bass. I where, don't know. Were you singing down here? Yeah. Well, yeah, it probably was because my like voice kind of, dropped. Yeah, but let's see. Judd's voice definitely dropped at an early age. Yeah, I, mean, I, I was, was a late bloomer. It took me a little while. <laughs> we're still waiting. Hey, yeah, we're still waiting yeah. a little. You should have heard it 15, 16 years ago. What yeah. instrument did you play in band? Trombone. Okay. I played trombone okay. from fourth to ninth grade. Love it. I was a trumpet guy myself. Won okay. a bunch of awards in high school. It's, yeah. it's like, t- like of all the skills, the vast amount of skills I have in my life, trumpet's trumpet. pretty high up there. Yeah. Yep. Can we talk about Kirk, though, for a second? Morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. <laughs> okay, can we talk about Kirk? Because I really think, I really think that in the cycle of life and people uh, basically peaking and then going down, okay, something went wrong here because Kirk Cousins is meant to right now be selling insurance. Kirk Cousins' life peaked in high school. He was the lead singer too. Like he's taking the leads here. So that dude was the was the star quarterback. Yes. the lead singer in choir and musicals. He's the type of guy who right now should be going back to his hometown <laughs> high school reunion night, fat and drunk. Listen, if the Vikings lamenting everything that has gone wrong since he peaked in high school. If the Vikes can get a fourth round pick for him, he can go anywhere he wants. That's right. Back but home. Doesn't he strike you as the type of guy who should have peaked back then? Well, he, he I, I will say that he strikes me as the type of guy that was definitely dominating high school. Because, yeah, right. Because he was so great at sports and music. Right. I don't know how great he was in school. I'm assuming he was probably pretty good in school as well. I bet he has a very nice transcript. But just so. because you were great in high school doesn't mean that you peaked in high school. I think credit to Kirk Cousins for yes. riding the wave. And uh, and now being one of the highest paid sports performers in the world. I'm telling you, as far as the cycle of life goes, he strikes me as a guy. Senior year in high school should be what he always looks back to. And right now he's trying to move houses or he's at a bank or something. I'm just telling you, that's how it feels. I think I think we should laud Kirk Cousins. There are so many, listen, so many of us band geeks, Declan playing trombone, Phil Mackey playing the trumpet. And and we get made fun of and bullied in the hallway. You nerd, you band geek. I'll show you what you can do with that trombone. Right. No more bullying band geeks. We have an NFL star, highly paid quarterback, <laughs> whose 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 nerdy choir videos are now out for everyone to see. Yeah. And just know that you can do great things if you if you root yourself in band and choir, kids. All right, that's my lesson oh, to you. What a beautiful day. Take it more seriously than Judd did. Judd can't even remember what I notes guess. he was singing. I don't know. It you was great school. I never did choir. it in high school. I never did anything in high school like that. No, I didn't have time. Morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. Points, man. You gave us a chance at the end, but I got three words for you. You like that? So his voice is actually hitting the puberty level right. as a professional athlete, Correct. and he's got the voice down in, in high school. I think that's backwards, Dex. Oh, it was. So uh, that's uh, that's Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins oh, rocking that day. high school music. Reckless oh, speculation. Dalvin is running the football. Everything's going my way. You should write the song. Yeah. Write the song and let's record it. Yep.
You write the lyrics, we'll record it's this. It's going to freeze all the defenders. They're going to be like, we can't pursue. No, we got to listen to Kirk. If the whole offensive line just broke out in a little doo-wop. Yes. Doo-wop, doo-wop. Ezra Cleveland, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a good right guard, but I'm a better singer. Did this happen in a movie at one point? Remember the Titans or something? Yeah, yeah there's a little song and dance in the Remember the Titans. Oh. Vikings, oh. if the Vikings lose to the Bears, I think they've got freedom to try a Whatever they, whatever they need to. Imagine some reckless speculation. Zim leading the uh, choir. Uh, no, I actually can't. Remember. I can't either, but it'd be great. An arms crossed and maybe a foot tap. Maybe, <laughs> maybe a foot, a foot tap. tap. Maybe, maybe a foot tap. All right, uh, <laughs> back to our reckless speculation Thursday here, boys. Okay, just tying everything that we've heard about the Timberwolves, all the rumors about. The Wolves at first trying to trade the number one pick for uh, an established player, and now it sounds more like the Wolves are trying to either jump back up into the lottery with a second lottery pick or or maybe trade back with, like, Charlotte to the three. But it sounds like they're going to draft a young player and, uh, and and put that young player with Carl Anthony Townsend and D'Angelo Russell. So with all the things we've been ingesting here, is this the most important draft in Timberwolves history, Judd Zolgad? I'm going to throw a question back at you. How do you define that? Because in some ways I would absolutely say yes, and in some ways, we've now seen drafts that played out disastrously for them and have been a, a big deal. So what do you mean by that I mean, question? like, going into the draft mm-hmm. and what the draft means to the franchise. Is this the most important draft as you walk up to it in franchise history? Because like, you could say, well, the Kevin Garnett draft was the most important because they found right. Kevin Garnett. Right, but like... Or passing on Steph Curry. They were only, like, six years into their franchise history when they drafted Kevin Garnett, so it wasn't... It wasn't what I'm saying is if they whiff on this draft pick, yes, or if they whiff on two draft picks in the first round, yes, the things. Well, let's start with if you get it right. If you get it right, you could have a stable of now three to four young, great talents. You know, Carl Anthony Towns leading the way, and you could really set yourself up for a run in the Western Conference for the next three to five years. Mm -hmm. If you whiff. Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell are going to feel it, and they're not going to want to resign, and they're going to be gone within two or three years. Uh, it might even get the front office shaken up again. Yep. How many times can you go through that with markets like, this is what I'm getting at, with markets like Las Vegas and Seattle looking for NBA teams and the Wolves hurting for attendance? Yeah. And you've mostly been irrelevant for, I would say, 22 of, like, 21 of the 30-ish years you've been a franchise. You've been irrelevant. Um, how often can you keep doing that and still have an NBA franchise here? Like, if you don't get this right, I I honestly feel like the franchise in Minnesota is in jeopardy. Is and, that an overstatement? And, no, no. And Glenn, so I, I think when Glenn sells this team in the coming months, I think there's going to be a purchase agreement that basically stipulates the franchise can't be moved for X amount of time. But there's no way that Glenn can say in perpetuity, you can't move this team if you own said team, right? So I think we're we're banking on well, but Glenn says he's going to sell it to a person that won't move it. Well, they won't for a while, but to what you're saying, if you continue to whiff and not draw fans, it becomes a big deal. Um, I would put this in, I would say that if the Timberwolves in five years are in Seattle, great town, by the way, great beer town as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in five years, if the Wolves are in Seattle, I would say if they whiff on this draft, that it would be one of the top three reasons why they moved. So I don't know that this is the most important because you'll always go back to Steph Curry being passed on. And that's always going to be a huge miss because if you take him and do that draft, right, your franchise is right now, incredibly different. Mm -hmm. I will say it would be a top three though. If you whiff and, and this draft doesn't necessarily have a superstar, but let's say let's say there's just for the sake of this conversation, Phil Mackey. Let's say there's four really good players, and you somehow don't get any of those four, and you get guys, one or two guys who turn out to be busts, and then Towns is like, guys, I'm just done here, and Russell follows him and says, if he's done, I'm done, and now they force trades, and in five years, the the Seattle SuperSonics two are a thing. I would say that if Rosas misses, it would be, if there was a book, it would be one of the first three mm-hmm. chapters of why the franchise is gone. Now, on I the, think that's fair. Yeah. And now on the flip side, if you get the picks right, and I, actually, if you guys haven't read yet, Johnny K did a great, just sort of like 5,000 word 
expose uh, into all the different key pieces in the Wolves front office and what they're looking at and thinking about going in. So he talked to the trade machine guy. That's right. The Wolves the Wolves hired the ESPN.com trade machine guy last year. They've got 67 people employed now. And they're all listed in this article and, and are quoted. And and he basically said, we are, we are actually floating more ideas by quite a lot to other teams than we're getting in. He said, we're, we're the ones that are coming up with trade ideas. Mm-hmm. And we're picking up the phone and we're calling other teams. And so that's that's kind of fun. It's basically what I do in all my fantasy leagues, which is uh, I just try to get Pat Mahomes and offer them terrible trades. But I think um, one thing that stood out in reading this is that they feel like, and again, maybe, you know, this is 30 years of Wolves, bad inertia, sort of conflicting with what Gerson Rosas is trying to do, which is bring this winning attitude and culture in. The tone of the article is, we feel like we have so many different experts in so many different areas, be it medical, analytics, scouting, mm-hmm. and they have left no stone unturned that we feel like we're going to make the right decision regardless. And so, obviously, Timberwolves' inertia might have something else to say, but I do tend to trust this front office to this point. Like I, I'm not saying that they've been perfect so far, but... They seem to have better and more thorough process than most Wolves front offices in the history of the franchise. And so um, if they do get it right, now you're talking about a formula that's more modern. You're talking about you're talking about athletic wing shooting type players to pair with a great talent in Carl Anthony Towns, a really good talent in D'Angelo Russell, and you've got these guys under team control, not max salaries that you're just drafting. So I think there's like there's a path to they could be in a different market in five years if they whiff, or they could be in the top five in the Western Conference in two or three years if they get it right. That's why I think this is such an important draft. And th- that's why I asked you the question on the show on Wednesday about the Jarrett Culver miss being a small sample size, but it does concern me slightly that it appears that they did miss on that one because if they're, they're they clearly do a ton of work and they're clearly smart people. Um, but they can't afford misses. It, yeah, and I don't. Know it's that almost it's not a, fair to say, it's but not they, a miss yet. But it's it, but yeah. they but there was better, and they and it looks like that they did whiff on, on that. Which, if you expand that out, becomes a big deal. The one thing that I've been thinking about more and more off our conversations about this team too is what uh, Zach Harper said two days ago now on our show, which is the reality is the Western Conference is so stacked. That in some ways it makes sense if internally the plan is a three-year plan. And I appreciate that. I am, I mean, I am Mr. Tank and rebuild, and that's all great. Uh, but to go back to our, our conversation today with Doogie, you know, the reality is, and this isn't even fair to Gerson, but it's just the, the reality of the situation that the Wolves are in. The clock is really ticking now, and it's ticking fast, and the pandemic picks that pace up. Um, because they are the one team in this town that you, there is no way that you can pound your fist on this table and tell me they're not going to move. They're not, they're going to be fine. We don't know that. And if there's one big time team in this town that would be geared to leave, it's not the Vikings, it's not the twins and it's not the wild. It is certainly the wolves. So the three year plan to me personally sounds, Oh, okay. That's fine. But I think that there's pressure with a different person coming in to own this team. And I think that there's pressure with the fact that there is just a flat out and not surprisingly lack of interest in this franchise that you don't have three years. Like you need to, again, to use my Vikings phrase, you need to go here. Like you need to have a coherent plan to take Cat and D'Angelo Russell and players X and Y and go. Yeah, I uh, I totally agree. Um, I don't think there's a path to being a contender instantly in the Western Conference, but you need you can't just like win 19 games again. Right? Like you you need to show some sort of movement toward 500, and you need to show people what they saw, you know, in the early days of Kevin Garnett and Tom Gugliotta and Stephon Marbury 25 years ago. That okay, all right, I, I see something here. I, they're not they're not quite on the Bulls level or the Lakers level or whoever you know the Utah Jazz, but. It's coming, and you can see the progress. That's what you need to start seeing that this upcoming season. Reckless speculation. On the Twins front. 
because Doogie brought up that they are. Uh, he brought up Aaron Sanchez as a former All Star yes. starting pitcher for the Blue Jays a few years ago, and he's had some injury things, and he's sort of fallen off the map. But he's only twenty six years old. Interesting arm there. I I wouldn't I wouldn't criticize them for taking another shot because remember when Michael Pineda was a free agent signing, it was like oh god, here we go. And Michael Pineda was their best starting pitcher for stretches the last couple of years. Yep. So I have for you guys a question and a list, okay? The question is, do the Twins already have an ace mm-hmm. and or should they go looking for one? Mm-hmm. And then I happen to have in front of me here the six best starting pitchers on the free agent market according to MLBTraderMers.com. All right. Oh, funny. It just Reckless speculation. Just popped in front of me, okay? Trevor Bauer is listed at number one. He's projected to sign a four-year, hundred-something million-dollar contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers, according to MLB Trade Rumors. Marcus Stroman, 29 years old. He's been a slider-cutter guy. The Twins like slider-cutter guys. Kevin Gausman, who used to be a top prospect for, I believe, the Orioles, yes. finally had a breakout season last year with the Giants yes. and put it all together. He's, he's a split-fingered uh, fastball guy, 29 years old. Masahiro Tanaka, I think, just goes back to the Yankees, plus he's older. Jake Odorizzi is fifth on this list. Mm. They consider bringing him back. Mm -hmm. And James Paxton, 32 years old, coming off surgery, in line to sign probably a one-year contract. Stroman did sign his qualifying offer with the Mets. Oh, he did. So So he's gone. He's off the board, unfortunately, because I would love him. Which Take him off the board. Which is an indicator of just how bad this market is going to be overall. How yeah. slow it's going to be. I look at this and I say, definitely make a run at Trevor Bauer. If he decides he wants to sign a multi-year contract, you're probably out. If he wants to sign a short-term contract, you have a chance. Mm-hmm. I would take a look at Kevin Gausman, and I would even consider maybe bringing Jake Odorizzi back, but I wouldn't get too crazy with the mm-hmm. money there. And if 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 those didn't work out, especially Bauer, I would look more toward trading. But the bigger question is, are you trading, trying to trade for a number one starter, or do you feel like between what Kenta Maeda and Jose Barrios did at the end of the year that you're you're actually good at the top of your rotation? If you trade, so to that point, if you decide that you're going to that you can't afford the price of poker on the free agent market, and you decide to try and trade for what you consider to be another upper echelon arm, and the asking price is almost certainly going to be one of your top prospects. Do you entertain that trade? Because I don't think they're going to, but I think that's the most realistic path to getting another guy at the top end of your rotation. See, I don't trade Kirloff, and I don't trade Royce Lewis right now, in part because of the fact that you're probably going to have to come down payroll-wise the next couple of years. I could see them looking to subtract some of the... I, I, I could see them subtracting Nelson Cruz. I could see them subtracting... Eddie Rosario, Great. you need guys to step up and fill some of these positions. And uh, and you know that Kirloff and Royce Lewis are both going to make about $500,000 a year for the next two or three years. So I And, and Kirloff, the swings he was taking in the one playoff game he played, <laughs> was looking legit comfortable and and smarter people than us, scouts and, and whatnot, say, yeah, that guy's ready to play in the major leagues. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't trade those guys. But the Twins do have some robust options. The biggest question, too, is they've got all these guys that we've sort of heard about the last couple of years. You know, Jordan uh, uh, Balazovich, for instance, is their top pitching prospect. You know, when are some of these guys going to be? Fernando Romero, for three years, was their top pitching prospect. Like, that dude's just off the map. I don't think he's back yet from mm -hmm. his country. Their rotation has just been guys they've signed in free agency, reclamation projects, a trade for Kent Maeda. They haven't had any internal flux in that rotation. The bullpen, yes. But if, if they went into next year and Kenta Maeda and Jose Barrios were the number one and number two starters, I think you can compete with a lot of Major League Baseball in a playoff series with those two guys clicking. You'd like to see Barrios more locked in like he was in that postseason game for the rest of the season. But um, I, I this is the first time I would say I'm not going to be super upset if they don't upgrade the top of their pitching rotation because they have the guy that finished second in the Cy Young Award voting in Kenta Maeda. The payroll's coming down, so I, I don't see... Any way, shape, or form that they go out and make a splash move. Like, unless it's a shocking trade, um, I don't think that they're going to pursue Bauer. I think they'll talk to him, but he's going to get way too much, um, either, in my opinion, on a one-year contract or if he does take the paintball a bullet to the groin and gets five years. I don't think there's any way that he comes here. The Maeda trade, to me, 
And look, there's good and bad about this team and the playoffs for the last two years or 20 years have been a disaster, okay? Um, but I think where we need to give this front office and Falvey probably in particular credit as well, the Maeda trade to me, which turned out to be a really solid trade if you are the Twins, is a study in perseverance. Because there were a lot of people who, when the Red Sox in the Mookie Betts three-way trade, which is how the Twins initially got Maeda from the Dodgers, when the Red Sox said that they didn't like the physicals on Bruzdar Gratterall, there were a lot of people that said, oh, good, thank God, he's not going to be traded now. And the Twins were like, no, he still is. And they worked out the trade with the Dodgers. Now, I do have some questions, just natural questions, about Kenta's ability in a full year. But in the 60-game uh, pandemic-shortened year, 6-1, 11 starts, 2.7 ERA, and finished second to uh, Bieber in the Cy Young for the American League. And in the first game against the Astros in the playoffs, five innings, two hits, no runs, brilliant. He is also locked in through 2023, guys, at $3.1 million per season, mm-hmm. which is great. But here's why I like it. I think the ship has sailed, I believe, on talking about Barrios and this pie in the sky. He can be an ace. I know he, he can. Doesn't make him a bad pitcher, okay? But we have had that discussion now, I think, for two going on three years. And at some point in time, it's just dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that I, I like about the current setup about Maeda 1 and Barrios 2 is this. Maeda's temperament and the way that he approaches his starts, to me, is not a true ace, not a top five ace, but it is your top pitcher type of mentality. And Barrios lacks that. And he could still give you great starts. Agreed. His game against the Astros in Game 2 was impressive, and he should not have been pulled. But Barrios lacks, I think, because he goes up and down, right? He's like, ah, oh, man, he's all excited um, if, if he's got a great first. But if he falls apart in the second, he's a mess. Maeda doesn't have those up and downs, and that is incredibly important. So I think where the Twins deserve credit is for identifying both what Kenta can do on the mound and mentally. And I do think that they've locked themselves into being in a pretty good position now with it being very clear that they're going to go into 2021, Maida as your ace, Brios as your two, and I'm okay with that. I got one more for you. Okay. Reckless speculation. As you go further down the NLB trade rumors list, they have a free agent pitcher signing with the Twins. So they have all the projections here. They've, they've, by the way, they have Nelson Cruz re-signing with the Twins one year, $16 million. That's, that seems very reasonable, yes. Where they would just overpay for the one year yes. and pay him more than he was making before. Yep. They have Trevor May going to the Giants two years, $14 million. Okay. They have Corey Kluber signing a one-year, $12 million contract with the Minnesota Twins. I like that. So Kluber has been... Just absolutely sabotaged by injuries the last two years. He's only made eight starts, including he only made one start in Texas last year. And he's had back problems. I don't remember what the exact injury was last year. But his one start in Texas, um, it was was not very good. Uh, It was one inning. He gave up three hits, and then he just came out because he was hurt. The year before that, he only had a 580 ERA with the Indians, um, 35 innings. He allowed 44 hits, like... But, obviously, in the six or seven years leading up to that, he was one of the three or four best starting pitchers in all of baseball. Mm-hmm. 34 years old, so definitely not in the middle of his prime anymore. But Derek Falvey was a big part of the reason why Cleveland traded for him as a double-A prospect, I think, with the Padres to begin with. That sounds like a great reclamation project. It's definitely a scrap heap, classic twin signing, <laughs> but... It's not necessarily for lack of effectiveness. It's If he's healthy, he might go back to maybe 80% of the pitcher that he was. And now you've got an ace mindset guy. Maybe you've got a guy who's not quite the ace that he was three or four years ago, but you've got a guy that for sure moves the needle with that starting rotation. Absolutely. I love the idea, and it makes perfect sense with Derek Falvey. The thing that I I like about that, and, and overall I think that we as baseball fans should be excited about uh, for 2021 is this as well. What's always been on this show, our problem with baseball contracts. It's not, it's not the cash. It's the term, right? Yeah. I think you're going to see a ton of guys get one year, two year contracts, which I am, which I think is great. 
So if Kluber comes here one year, 12 mil, pitch is great. Guess what? He's going to get three to four years elsewhere. I love the idea of a guy like that being given a short-term, probably fairly cheap in baseball terms, contract to prove it. I think it's great. So, yeah, if the Twins did that tomorrow, I would say it's a great shot. Now, if that's a four-year contract, I'm like, whoa, hold on a second. Too aggressive. But it's the term that bothers me much more than the actual uh, take-home pay for the time. Yeah, so, so I like it. Those are some of the names floating out there for the Twins. Uh, it's been pretty quiet just because NBA free agency and the draft is, is starting to pop up. Reckless speculation. So, uh, before we wrap the show, let's bring back one of our favorite segments from the summer here. Let's bring back Old Tweets Exposed, boys. Where Declan Goff goes through 10 years of Twitter history, 11 years of Twitter history mm-hmm. with me and Judd. He also self-reports. Oh, yeah. And he pulls ridiculously dumb and uh, potentially overly zealous tweets from the past. All right, Phil. You're first up here. It's NBA draft season. June 24th, 2011. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back at last night's draft... David Kahn and company did a pretty damn good job. Okay, Hashtag what, Wolves. So let's get to it. Let's find that draft, oh baby. Oh, my God. Let's find it. The number, so that was uh, the Derek Williams pick. Oh, God. And then there is a player at 17 overall who I have never heard of with a Timberwolves draft. I was I forgot what draft this was, too, and I knew that once I figured it was Derek Williams, it's was like, okay, well, what else, though? Like, they drafted 20th, unless 20th, they made a okay. trade, and they drafted uh, Donatus Montahunas. Okay. Well, him and... I mean, he's he's been in the NBA. He, he played in the NBA for a few years. Okay. Not with the Timberwolves. Okay. That was, I think, a draft night trade. Well... He averaged 12 points a game oh, for Houston back in 2014. I want to laugh so hard, but I'm afraid I'm going to get bit in the ass wow. next. That wow. is dude. Khan and company. So that draft is an all-time terrible draft. Yes. Like Kyrie Irving went number one, Derek Williams number two, uh, Enos Cantor's fine. Oh, Tristan fine. Thompson just you know LeBron made his career. Uh, Jonas uh, Valanciunas, Jan Vesely. I think that uh, Jimmy Butler rounded off that draft in the first round. I think you're right. Jimmy at, Butler went thirtieth. Yeah. Bismack Biambo, Brandon Knight, Kemba Walker. All right, okay, Jimmer Fredette. Oh my God, oh, Jimmer! Clay Thompson went number eleven. Would have been nice to have him. Yeah, that is a weird. Oh, draft. actually, you know what? Kawhi Leonard went fifteen. So the top of the draft was a disaster. But you have like Hall of Famers sprinkled throughout <laughs> here: Clay Thompson, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi. That's hilarious. Wow. Oh boy. So I was still drinking a little David Kahn Kool Aid yeah, there. Apparently, yes, you were. It really got nothing to say about that. <laughs> no, in fact, you'd like to just move on from as quick as possible. All right. Judd, we're going back to your Access Vikes days. Nice. For this one. Someone tweeted at you and said, when Trent Dilfer talks bad about Ponder, it makes me feel better about the pick. And you said the criticism seemed a bit over the top. I remember oh, that, yeah. Because I thought I thought it, the top, I huh? thought it was, and he was dead on right. That's a great one. Oh, yeah, I love how you used the Access Vikings account yes. to, to mask your yeah, own. And you know what? Terrorism. That could have been, dudes, that could have been Chip. You guys don't know that. You don't know that it, it was me. I don't know. You, like, at Jay Zolget, would, would Chip sabotage you? It looks like it. Doesn't know. know. In retrospect, I because I, I called Trent and I said, Trent, you were so right about this. Or is that? Let's talk about how right you are, and then ship sabotage me. Actually, you know what? No, Jeb was working at fifteen hundred ESPN at this time, so this was somebody else. This was uh, was this Dan Weederer? Dan, who who's the one that took over? Yeah, your Dan Weederer went to the Chicago Tribune. Yeah, you know what though? April of two thousand eleven. I think I was still he. I think I was still at the Strib. I think I came over right before the regular season started. Okay. So you were no, okay. I think it's probably me. I'm trying so to distance your, this myself. This is your burner account that you're I using. Think it's, <laughs> I think it's probably me. I will take credit. <laughs> all right. The criticism, okay. by the way, was not at all over the top. No, he was dead. He was so right. It's frightening. <laughs> you're right. All right. I always self-report, and I have a history of tweets that go back to 2011. I think this one's from 2013, and I was the guy. Actually, I still am the guy who makes reckless, not reckless trade ideas, just that Minnesota sports fan who throws bleep at the wall to see what can happen. This is actually September 15th, 2013. (laughs) And I say we package some kind of deal with Ponder to the Chargers for Phillip Rivers. Hashtag LOL, but actually hashtag seriously. Okay, so what was, this is the beginning of the 2013 NFL season. season. And I, like, I Was Rivers, like, in the rumor mill at this point? Or were you just randomly wanting Phillip Rivers? Well, I was, I'm the second, I'm the vice president of the Phillip Rivers fan club. I know you're number one. Matthew would have loved this trade. I loved me some Philip Rivers growing up. Absolutely. Um, okay, so he Philip Rivers was coming off of was he coming off a of seven and nine year? season. He uh, he was okay. 
he had kind of peaked in like 2010 and then had kind of a down year in 2012. So you were, looks like you were trying to buy low on Philip Rivers. Okay. And, and then Philip Rivers and, and had a ridiculous Christian Ponder, season. who was coming off. Is this Matt Castle time, boys? E- going into 13, yeah, this would have been. Yeah, I think so. Going into 13 was the year. 13 was the year that they uh, that they signed Josh Freeman too during the right. season, right? Uh-huh. Yes. So this was Castle, and then actually, so so Ponder was coming off 2012. Ponder was coming off. The four games at the end of the season right. that everyone talks about. December like, run, yes. Yeah. So so Ponder's stock was, I wouldn't say skyrocketing, but like his stock was kind of back on the rise a little bit. That, that all right, better. this is his season. But didn't they sign Castle to start? Did Ponder start the 2013 season or did Castle? I think I'm he started. I think Castle right came in as a backup. And then Ponder started the year, but I think either he got hurt or was just disastrous in the first two games. And then they, and then they flipped it over to, uh, to, to Matt Castle. Okay. Their first game of the year. At Detroit, a thirty-four to twenty-four loss at Detroit. This is also this was the worst defense in the NFL that season, and the starting quarterback was indeed Christian Ponder. <laughs> okay, he was eighteen of twenty-eight for two thirty-six, three interceptions against the Detroit Lions defense. Because the Josh Freeman start was the October twenty-first Monday night game against the Giants, right? Which was the sixth game of that season. Oh my gosh! This is just okay. So I have blacked a lot of this out. Second game of the year, the Vikings lost thirty-one to thirty at the Chicago Bears. Christian Ponder, sixteen of thirty, two twenty-seven touchdown, a pick. So people oh, were they lost to Cleveland at home in the third game. Oh, oh no, I have so right. I've seriously purged this crap from my mind. And who started that game? Was it Ponder? You know, I think Sorry, I was we're doing. Just, we're just no, this is good. I, I was like doing this. Ventline that year in studio, so I didn't. Ponder. I didn't go to home games. That was part of. The oh my thing. god! So a home game against Cleveland. Christian Ponder goes twenty-five of forty-two for two twenty-eight, no touchdowns and an interception, and he loses to Brian Hoyer, who threw three picks in that game. It's last year in the dome, right, Phil? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Because four, fourteen yes. was fourteen was TCF Bank Stadium. Okay. So, so last year in the dome. Oh my god! And then he got benched for like a month. Yeah, he started a ton. That this time. is around the time that Sam Ponder started blocking everybody on Twitter, right. too. Right. Uh, then they came back in week four, and they beat the Steelers at home 34-27. to And that was oh, a you know Matt what? Castle. You know Matt Castle, baby. 16 of that 25, was in 248. That was, that was in a London. London game. Okay. Yeah, they beat they beat Tomlin and the Steelers. In London. A, a Vikings home game. Yes. I, that, that, was, that was Wembley Stadium, right? Yeah. Because the Browns game was... Uh, um, um, at the Dome? or No. T- um, they played the Browns a couple years ago in England, but I think it was, uh, was it Twickenham? So I got, got one it. more for you. And then we can stop like reading the internet on our podcast here. But the Vikings in in the last month of the season, December 15th, they were just terrible right end of the season. The Eagles were in the playoff hunt. The Vikings at home beat the Eagles 48-30 to in that game. Wow. Nick Foles was the starting quarterback for the Eagles. He went 30 of 48 for 428 yards and three touchdowns. Outdueled by Matt Castle, 26 of 35 for 382 and two touchdowns in a winning effort. How about that? Probably the win of the season. Oh, my God. Matt Asiata. Oh, this is great. Matt Asiata in place of, I think, injured Adrian Peterson, right, at that point? Because Peterson did not play in this game. Yep. Matt Asiata carried the ball 30 times for 51 yards. (laughs) 30 times. Oh, here's the greatest. <laughs> Just ramming into the line of scrimmage. Leroy Horde, but worse. Yes. Leroy Horde would get you three yards. Yes. Football. Matt Asiel gets you two yards. Just fall forward. Amazing. All right. Well, that's a wrap on Mackie and Judd today. Tomorrow, uh, tomorrow bad is memories. Action Movie Rewind, and uh, the stoner action movie Pineapple Express won the audience vote. And so we will review that tomorrow and Judd's Keys to a Vikings victory. Morning, oh what a beautiful day. Pretty woman, walking down the street. Pretty woman, we kind of like to meet.